You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Okay, I want to I wanna give you a, a parenting lesson. <laughs> Not that I'm an expert here, but I, I believe that to be a parent... All right, so for future parents, you know, make notes. Jason, you know, make notes. <laughs> okay, you need to be patient, right? You need to be patient to be a good parent. You need to be creative, and you need to be repetitive. <laughs> uh, with Nora and Huxley, I'll be very honest, they're really good kids. And, and by the way, they've started to enjoy vegetables recently. <laughs> what? I, I just, I'm... I'm still in shock about that, and I just chalked that up to us just adding a little bit more salt to, <laughs> to them. <laughs> but anyway, so creative seasoning, I guess that, you know, being creative there. But, you know, for Shar and I, as we are, you know, raising them, we teach them things, uh, we help them to learn things, and, and, you know, for example, like helping them to learn to read, you know, that, that's a, a major milestone in, in kids' lives. And that requires lots of practice. It requires lots of patience. And it requires repetition, right? We need to keep on reading. We need to keep on doing it. It's not, you know, you read one thing once and you're like, okay, I'm good. You know, teaching them to tie their shoes, the same thing. You know, countless demonstrations of a little rabbit hopping around a hole and then going in and then coming out, all that sort of thing in hopes that they will get, you know, the point of tying their shoes. And that that is all char. I... I tried a few days ago with Huxley, and he did not get it. So, Shar, you're doing an excellent job in teaching our kids to tie their shoes. Um, and here, here's another tip um, for you, Jason. As, <laughs> sorry to pick on you. But table manners do not come naturally to children. All right? This does not come as a surprise to people who are parents. All right? they, they don't get them. They don't come out of the womb you know, knowing how to grip a fork and a knife properly. All right, they would not fit well in, in a Downton Abbey situation. All right, but we need, and so we need to point out and we need to instruct them right, in, into, in ways of, of, so that they can eat well and so that the majority of the food, at least the majority, ends up in their mouth and not on the table or the floor. And at the very least, so that they can appear civilized later in life. Right, that's my goal, that they will appear civilized when they are older. The good news is, though, and I'm sure most all parents, all parents can attest to this, that if we keep at it, kids do learn. Kids do learn. And, they, and, and that's exciting, right? That's exciting that they learn how to do things. I hope, have you learned how to tie your shoes, Isaiah? Maybe? Okay, well, keep getting it. You'll, you'll get it eventually. <laughs> In a similar way, Father God continually speaks to his people. He teaches them. He reminds them. He lectures them. Uh, sometimes he punishes them in hopes that they will learn and change their ways. Right? We read through. That's like the narrative of the Bible right there. And God is patient with us. Right? God is creative. And his, his spirit was cre- uh, spoke creatively to the people who wrote the Bible, to the prophets, to be creative in the message that they shared with us through the Word of God. And, and God is also repetitive. 
I believe, in the, in the, the messages that he shares time and time again. And that's an important thing to remember as we read through the Gospels and we read over what Jesus taught when he was here on this earth. Uh, the point is this, that Jesus' teaching in parables are, are not original with him. All right? He very often uses ideas that come straight from the Old Testament. And Jesus is a creative storyteller, and he often repeats the ideas that the prophets of old have already said. And so the dinner party dialogue that we find in Luke chapter 14, which we'll be going through today, is no exception. Jesus pulls the concepts of his parables, I believe, from the prophet Ezekiel. And, and the, the, the Pharisees and the lawyers who were there and would have been listening to Jesus talk uh, would have known these concepts and, and ideas that Jesus was talking about. And they would have hopefully maybe put two and two together. And so throughout this dinner party, Jesus spells out very clearly God's big plan to seek and to save the lost. And he also invites us to join him in this amazing plan of inviting people to the great banquet. And so Ezekiel was a prophet that was actively prophesying to the people of Israel before and during the exile of the Jewish people when they got led off to Babylon. Uh, he heard of the fall of Jerusalem when he was in Babylon, and, and tradition states that he died. Him and his wife both died uh, while they were in exile. And so in Ezekiel 34, he prophesies against both the shepherds of the people of Israel, meaning the teachers and the priests, those kind of those people, and against the sheep, meaning the people themselves. And so in, in Ezekiel 34, verses 3 and 5, this is what he says, speaking to the shepherds. You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, and the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there were no shepherd, and, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. God's got a bone to pick with the people who were supposed to be taking care of the sheep. They weren't benefiting themselves. They were, sorry, they were benefiting themselves off of the sheep, but they weren't caring for. They weren't watching over and leading the sheep. And the sheep had no one to follow, and so they scattered. God's message to the shepherds continues to be very strong in this passage. The Lord is against the shepherds and promises that he himself will be the shepherd. He says this in 15, verses 15 and 16, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the straight, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Ezekiel continues his message by prophesying against the sheep, the people themselves, in verses 17 to 19. As for you, my flock, my people, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture? And to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? 
And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet, and drink what you have muddied with your feet? The sheep themselves were pushing and jostling for a good meal and a good drink, and in so doing they were ruining the grass and the water for the others that hadn't eaten and drank yet. As a solution to this, God reminds his people that he will be the shepherd. He will be the judge over them. In verses 21 and 22. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. God's message is firm. Shepherds, shape up. You're not doing your job. And I'm going to remove you and do your job myself. And sheep, quit being selfish. Quit trying to be first because all it's doing is it making it horrible for the rest of them. So let's take these thoughts, these thoughts that we've just read in Ezekiel 34, and transition into the banqueting room of the Pharisee. And let's read together in Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 24. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisee, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And he took him, the man with dropsy, and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And he could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the place of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this one, to this other person, and you will be, begin with shame to take the lowest seat. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all those who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your sisters or relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a banquet and invited many people. And at, that, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please accept my excuse. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yokes of oxygen, oxen and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. 
And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. That's low. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded I have already done, and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, Go to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your, the truth that you've given us. And Father, by, by, the, by the reading of your word and by understanding it, Father, may you set us free. I pray that our hearts would be open to what you have to say to us today through this. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's go over this. Let's, let's kind of put the scene together here. The meal that Jesus was invited to is taking place in the house of a Pharisee or the ruler of a Pharisee. So he, he's like teacher of the teachers. And it's believed that at some time, uh, or in some times during that uh, culture and that period of time, people had had semi-public dining events. So, I don't know, in my mind, it's kind of like a picture of maybe a, of a covered patio, kind of like an outdoor patio at a, at a restaurant that we might see, uh, you know, with open windows and doors to the outside. People can see what's going on. The invited guests would be inside, obviously milling around, laughing, talking, and probably, I think, probably at the same time, try, vying for a spot, a good spot, to sit down at the table. Now, it fits the character of the Pharisees, if we know anything about them, to be making sure that people could see them. You know, they wanted people to notice them, and so they would have had, perhaps, a banquet place out in the, kind of out in the open, so people could see. And so the company, they, people outside could see people inside and see what kind of company that they were keeping and that sort of thing, and probably made them feel a little bit important. All right? There'd be people maybe outside on the street walking by, and I could imagine that some of them would have stopped and stared, be like, well, I wonder who's there today. And so that's kind of the, the, the scene. And I imagine that this man with dropsy, uh, which was kind of a, it was a serious thing. It was a painful symptom of either heart or liver failure that resulted in, in fluid retention and, and like this hugely swollen limbs. So not a, not a good thing at all. And this man with dropsy, probably, perhaps, would have heard through the grapevine that Jesus was dining there today. All right, And so, perhaps he made his way over to the place and uh, perhaps could see Jesus through the open door or through the open window. And so, taking a chance in boldness, he walked in off the street all right, kind of similar to actually in Luke chapter 7 when there's the, it, it tells the story of the sinful woman who comes and anoints Jesus' feet with her tears. I kind of imagine maybe a similar scenario. The Pharisees certainly didn't invite that woman, but she somehow made it into Jesus' feet. And so in the same way, this man with dropsy comes in off the street and just presents himself to Jesus. And so, you know, there, there's no words recorded that he spoke or anything like that. Uh, but 
everyone around could ob- see very obviously that this man was was uncomfortable. He w- he w- had dropsy. Something was wrong with him. And the Pharisees did nothing. And instead they watched Jesus very closely to see what he would do. Because that's what they did. And at this point, answering their stares, Jesus gives the Pharisees a chance to, I believe he does give them a chance to repent. In the words of Ezekiel, he's to bind up the injured, to heal the sick. At least to offer this man some sort of, you know, cup of water, as it were. But seeing that they didn't respond to this, Jesus takes on the responsibility of being a shepherd and caring for the sheep, and he cares for this one sheep. He heals the man and sets him free from the horrible condition he was in. Jesus repeatedly healing people on the Sabbath would have been a stark conviction to the Pharisees to open their eyes. If you have a son or an ox that have fallen into a well on a Sabbath, would you not pull him out? Of course. Of course you would. If there is someone suffering that comes to you on a Sabbath, should you not help him? Later on in the meal, Jesus enlarges this picture of being a good shepherd to the people when he points out to the host of the meal that he actually should have invited this man with dropsy. He should have invited people like this man. He should have invited the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, but instead of just letting them look in longingly. But going back to Ezekiel 34.8, the Pharisees were living out the bad shepherding that is mentioned here. That the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed the sheep. The shepherds should look after all their members, all the members of their flock, so that the weaker sheep may be nursed back to full health. The people that the Pharisees should have invited to this banquet, and by extension into the kingdom of God, could do nothing for them in return, which was why they didn't get invited in the first place. But Jesus reminds the leaders that they shouldn't be looking for that immediate reward or reciprocated hospitality from people anyways. They should know that it's because the people cannot repay them that God will bless them with a long-lasting eternal reward. And so Jesus came to earth to seek and to save the lost, for the sick, for the sinners, for the scattered sheep that had no shepherd. The Pharisees were meant to be the shepherds, but they were only feeding themselves. Jesus is calling out to them and calling them out that they should seek God's blessing, not man's approval. And through God's blessing, they could be a blessing to others by sharing this banquet with them. And as I'm reading this and as I was thinking about this and praying about this this week, I, I will be honest, I, I feel convicted myself when I read these words. As a pastor, I, I confess that at times I fall into the same pit. I, I fall into that same trap. There are times when I, I, I don't care for people. <laughs> I don't want to. And I'll be, I'll be very honest with you and I apologize. I am sorry. There are times when I have missed opportunities to invite people into the into the banquet of God. And so I am sorry if I have ever left someone outside the feast because of 
something I did, I apologize. And I thank the Lord that there is grace to cover these things. Jesus does not stop there, though. Jesus does not stop by rebuking the host. No, he makes it awkward for everybody. You know, he, he, he goes and turns his attention as well to the invited guests, the sheep that make up the flock. Just as in Ezekiel 34, 17, where God turns his attention to the sheep and said, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. So Jesus notices the guests choosing the place of honor at the banquet. Eating at a banquet then was a structured affair, and the closer you were able to sit to the host, the more honorable you would appear. And so these guests had a great, a very great disregard for the other guests and were, were jockeying for position, for trying to get into the position of honor. And I'm sure they had strategies to try and get the attention of the host that they could sit in the best spot where they, were, they would be noticed and admired by other people. They as well probably were judging one another and in the hearts, in their own hearts, were probably saying that they were... Oh, and I'm definitely, you know, better off than, than old, old Bob over there. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm so much more honorable than him. <laughs> but Jesus observes the, this, and, and, he, and he says to them, and I'm paraphrasing here, don't assume that you are important and sit down in the place of honor, because if someone comes in who is more important than you, the host will publicly make you move to a less important spot. How embarrassing would that be? Instead, take the spot of hum- pardon me, the spot of humility where the host or God can raise you up. Jesus ends this parable in, by saying in, in Luke 14:11, "For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted." These guests and most real sheep, had a, had a distinct disregard for others and thought of themselves as being in first place. I should get the honor. I should be served first. As God said through his prophet Ezekiel in 34, 18, and 19, I want to read it again. It, this is what God says to the, the people. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture? And to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. Must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? The Apostle Paul echoes this thought in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, where he says to the church, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The point that Jesus is making is to serve others and to remain humble. To take care of people around you and trust God to bless you and not look for the admiration of other people. Once again, Jesus enlarges this picture of the invited guests by telling another parable of, of another banquet. 
in Luke 14, 16, Jesus starts telling the people uh, the story of a man who is having, having a rather large banquet, and it says he invited many people. And at the time when everything was ready, he sends out his servant to go and gather those people, to gather the invited guests. And one thing I guess we need to make clear to, so we can understand uh, what ancient banquets were like is that people would get their guests to RSVP well in advance so that they would have a chance to, to get together all the food that they would need. You know, all the food. And, and because you'd, you'd have to actually like slaughter animals in order to have meat. You know, you couldn't just go to the store and get it. And so they would know, need to know in advance how, how much food to, need, to prepare. And so they would do that. They would receive all the RSVPs, be like, okay, I need, I need food for 20 people. And then they would go and prepare it. And then once the day came... Then they would send out a servant or send out servants to call all the people, the invited guests, to come and say, like, let's go. You know, the banquet is ready, so please come. And so the invited guests would have known about this banquet and said that they were coming. And the host would have prepared enough food for all of them so that they could eat well. And for, for a guest to suddenly make an excuse and say that he or she cannot come, would have been very rude. Especially if they list or they use excuses like Jesus lists in this parable. They would have already looked at the land that they had purchased. They wouldn't need to go again and look at it. They would have already examined the oxen that they have bought before money exchanged hands. And, and come on, blaming your newly married wife as a reason you can't go out and have a banquet? Mm. That's low. <laughs> That's like saying you can't go to a party because you've just bought some new socks. It just doesn't make sense. These invited guests weren't living in anticipation of the banquet. And when the time came, they had selfish reasons for not going to the banquet. And this is where we can turn our gaze back onto ourselves. We, all of us, we are invited guests. God has an extended an invitation for all of us to come and dine with him at the wedding banquet of the Lamb. At the end of all things, there is a banquet hosted by God for many invited guests. Are we invited? Yes. Have we accepted that invitation? And I believe if you have, have Jesus as your Lord and Savior in, their, in your life, then yes, you have accepted that invitation. Are you living in anticipation of that coming banquet? Are we living our lives in a way that is preparing ourselves for the future banquet and in a way that does not draw our attention away from it with useless things, with selfish things. The last few weeks, Pastor Greg has been preaching about living in anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. Jesus' second coming is the gathering of the invited guests to tell them the banquet is ready, come. And so I ask you, how are we living? Are we taking the advice of Paul, who says in Philippians 2.12, 
to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What this means is that are, are we living in a tireless pursuit of the holiness of God? Are we denying ourselves and our selfishness to become more like Christ in our daily life? Let us not find ourselves refusing to come to the banquet because we have become distracted and focused on other pursuits. One thing about Jesus' parables is that sometimes we can identify with with more than one character in each story. And I think this is one of those times. So let's switch our attention away from the invited guests. We are those as well. But let's switch our attention to the servant, to the one who was sent out to gather the guests, to tell them that the banquet is ready. And in this story, the host of the banquet, it says invites many people. And the servant is told to go out and gather everyone. So he goes first to those who have accepted the invitation. That's smart. And to all the people, and, but he's surprised, I think, that all the people give excuses why they can't come. It's kind of odd. And so he goes back to the banquet, or he goes back to the, to the master. And he's like, what do you do? And so the servant is told to go out and extend the invitation to more people, to the, to the poor, to the crippled, to the lame and the blind. So this they do as well. They go out and extend, make a huge other, bigger invitation to so many more people. And, they, and yet there is still more room in the, in the master's banqueting hall. And so the master says, go out and invite yet more people. Go outside the city. Go outside to the highways and, and look in, in the hedges. Look, like, pick things up. Look underneath for more guests. I need more guests. I want more people to come. I want my whole banqueting room to be completely full. The servant knows what the master is preparing for the banquet. At least I, I think he does. He's probably smelled the food. If he's been in and out of the house, he probably has smelt the food cooking. Maybe he's been in the kitchen and has tasted and seen the good food that is yet to come. And so he goes out to gather the people with full knowledge and understanding that this is not a feast to be missed. He knows people want to come to this banquet. People should come to this banquet. And so let's crack this parable open. If we put ourselves in the shoes of this servant, we know full well that the banquet of the Lord is not to be missed. We know that the master has invited many, and in fact, God has extended an invitation to everyone on earth. God doesn't want anybody to miss out on this amazing banquet. God sends us, his servants, out into the world to say, come, the banquet is ready. And we, the servants, are fully aware of the goodness that God has in store because we've experienced it for ourselves already. God has given us grace. We've already tasted and seen what is on the table for everybody and we've already been kind of, we've been given the Holy Spirit as as kind of an appetizer as a guarantee of what's to come. 
The master does not want us to stop inviting people. Don't stop at the rejected people. Don't stop at the people who have, have, have used, used to be respected or are respected or anything like that, but go out into the whole world and invite everybody in, even people who have never even heard of the Master. At the end of Jesus' time on earth, He said these famous words in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. He says this to His disciples, and therefore He says it to us, because we are His disciples as well. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It is our mission as both guests who have been invited and also the servants doing the inviting to go out into wherever God has put us and to keep inviting everyone. Today is a good day because God is good. I want to tell you just a little story here. Rachel Newfeld became friends with Avery DeRoche and invites her to come to youth group about two months ago. So Avery shows up at the gate and, unbe- and, and says, oh, my, my parents got married here like eight years ago. And Rachel's like, what? They didn't know that. It just happened. What? That's so cool. A friendship starts. And through this and through God impacting Avery's life, Avery decides to get baptized. God is good. God is good. It's as simple as starting a friendship. Simple as inviting people to church. Simple as listening to God and going out and extending a friendly invitation and seeing what happens next. So we want to have communion this morning. Because through Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection, we are all invited to the banquet. We are all invited to the banquet. Before Jesus died, He commanded His followers to live in remembrance of his actions by these two symbols of his body and his blood. So you have these on your chairs. Uh, There's a cracker and some juice. And we're going to celebrate communion right now as we remember what Jesus' actions meant for each of us.